Hi, friends. This is Pastor Dan Jackson. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Jacobswell Church. My hope and prayer is that this message will be a blessing to you and lead you into worshiping and enjoying our great and gracious God. With that said, let me encourage you to use this message as a supplement to and not a replacement of a local church. Christ did not establish his church simply for us to consume messages, but so that we could be intimately invested in each other's lives as an authentic covenant community. Again, thank you for listening. And if you want more information about Jacobswell Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. Hey, good morning, Jacobswell. Uh, my name's Ron Young. I'm one of the elders at uh, Jacobswell, a ruling elder. And as you could tell, Dan's sick. David's got a baby. David is COVID, uh, the other David. And they got desperate and asked me at the end of the... There's no one left. Spencer's like, no, I'm here to do counseling, not to preach. So, um, Actually, I, I'm always... Uh, Excited, and I counted a privilege to preach whenever I have the opportunity at Jacob's Well. Um, it, it was, uh, you know, even when it's last minute. So I, I'm using Pastor Dan's outline uh, on, uh, he let me know he was kind of getting sick, and hey, would it be possible if, sure, and then Friday, hey, I tested positive for COVID, you're on. By the way, could you get the outline to Angie by one o'clock today? I'm like... <laughs> I have a job. <laughs> so I, I said, we'll just use your outline and, and, um, and then I'll figure out what, what, to, what to say in between. But, uh, oh, it's great. Uh, my regular job is I'm headmaster at Providence Academy. And one of the things I do there is I teach leadership classes to the high school students. Each, you know, ninth grade, 10th grade, 11th grade, 12th grade, each of them I have a leadership class that I teach, uh, just one trimester. I should ask Elisa the questions about this because you're smiling, Elisa, one of our graduates. But um, I always start with a, a simple figure that explains leadership. It's basically a stick figure. And over yonder in the paper or the black, whiteboard is a star. So a, a leader is going somewhere, right? And then I have little followers behind them because you're really not... Unless you're leading people, you're not really a leader, right? So leader has followers, leader, there's a place they're going. But also, there's an arrow uh, that leads from leader to that place because the leader has to know how to get there. And, and I have this little squiggly line underneath the leader's feet because if you, you might know that destination, but you're really not going to know how to get there unless you really know where you're at. Um, so th there's all these parts to it. Um, to explain leadership. The other part we talk about are the three C's of leadership. Elisa? I'm going to be so disappointed. No, that's part of one of the C's, though. Character, commitment, competency, right? All right, whatever. <laughs> that whole part about you making the dean's list, I forget it. It's, it's gone now. She just made the dean's list. It's kind of cool. So, yeah, good job, good job, Elisa. Anyway, character, competence, commitment. And um, so, so the, the character, if the, the leader is, uh, has good character, it means that they're going to treat their followers in a, in a good way, um, ethically and, you know, that type of thing. And, and the means by which they're accomplishing their goals, they're going to do it also uh, ethically, and get, you know, it's it's not a um, they're not going to be a shyster, right? It's there's a, there, there's this goodness about what they're doing. Um, competency, right? You, 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 they actually have to know what they're doing <laughs> to, to get from this point to that point. Um, they have to have some competencies in that. And one of the competencies, of course, as Elisa pointed out, is communication, right? You have to be able to communicate well. You, the, the team needs to know where they're going to, right? So that's one of the competencies of how to get there. And there's also commitment. So the, the, the person that's leading can be a pretty decent person and, and have some competencies and knowing how to get there, but if they're not really committed to the goal, they, you know, they might quit or just 
not care as much. And, and a good leader has all three of these things. I typically ask um, the class, if you can only have, if you're a follower and you can only have, your leader can only have two of the three of them, what, what one would you leave out? And that's always a good discussion because everyone has been in a position where there's someone who has some sort of authority that you're under, uh, you know, a coach, a teacher, a boss, something, and, and you go, oh, I worked for this guy and he was a jerk, right? So they definitely have to have good character. Or, you know, I, was, uh, I, I played on this football team. The coach was a really good guy. He was very committed to the program, but man, the guy just did not know what he was doing. Right? I hate that. I want comp- I'm one of those guys that I want to see someone who's competent and has commitment, and I can kind of put up with the jerk, you know, um, and, if, and if there's enough accountability, hopefully that'll keep us from going off the rails. But you probably have your own thoughts, your own stories, like what's, what's the worst, right? The, the title of today's sermon is um, Why Follow Jesus, right? It's a, it's a great question. We as um, elders, pastors, are commending to people that you should follow Jesus, that you should entrust your life, your very salvation uh, for a man who lived a couple thousand years ago. Why should you follow? Right? Why should you follow him? And so I think it might be helpful as you think through this and we look at some of these passages, not just my sermon today or, or the passage we read today, but but through the rest of the Gospel of Mark even, look at it through those lenses of character and competence and commitment. What kind of leader is Jesus? There's one last part to it, and that is authority, okay? Over and over, we're gonna see a lot of that question come up in today's passage about his authority. So I, uh, Providence Academy, this just happened on Friday. We are, um, we're gonna have a billboard up on Highway 29 that kind of talks us about us right by our property. It's right on our property, so we might as well use that billboard. And we have a marketing committee at our school, and there, it's a board committee, so there's a, there's a board member who, who kind of chairs the committee, and they work on, you know, how we're going to advertise things. And, and this, this chairman of the, that committee, who's a board member, uh, has been given authorization, authority to look into it, to negotiate, to uh, report to the board, this is how much it's going to cost, uh, to, to, you know, to do that. So he has the right, that's what it means to have authority, the right and the privilege to make a lot of decisions. And here it was on Friday, and it's all been agreed to, the price is, everything's good. <clears throat> he does not have authority to sign on the dotted line. Right? He, he could if he wanted to. He has the power to sign his own name, but it's not going to mean anything. There's only two people that can sign for it, myself or the board chair. So, I'm, I'm, so I get this text in the, in the middle of the class, hey, I need you to sign, come down and sign this piece of paper. And, you know, and so I figured out when I can t- make an escape, go down and sign the paper so that we can have the billboard up. Um, you know, the, the, the chair of that marketing committee Great guy, good character, great commitment, great um, competency, no authority, right? So, so these, are, these are some of the questions. So let's read, and, uh, and before we get into the sermon, um, from Mark chapter 1, verses 21 through 39, found on page 836 in your Red Bible. Let's read. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed. 
so that they question among themselves, saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came. And he went through all, throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues, and casting out demons. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for your word, Lord, for your gospel that proclaims to us the good news of your son, Jesus, our King. I ask, Lord, that you would bless the reading of this word, but also, Lord, that, uh, that the preaching of it Lord, you would work in it and through it, and that your spirit would prompt us, Lord, to want to know more about your son Jesus and prompt us to hear his call that we might rise and follow him. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. A real quick note before, before we begin, and that is just um, th this weird stuff about Jesus telling demons to not talk about him, right? Uh, his fame is working, you know, is, is, is spreading throughout, and it, you'd think that, hey, you know, why not the testimony of demons? That would be great, right? The scholars talk about in the Gospel of Mark in particular this, this uh, messianic secret. That is, is that Jesus is coming, and as he's teaching, as he's performing various miracles, um, known as kind of signs, what he's doing is fulfilling prophecy from the Old Testament that would point to him as being the Messiah. And what he is working toward is his followers to recognize by his actions, by his speaking, that he truly is the Messiah. And so for the first half of the book, um, that becomes the big question. Who is this Jesus? Who is this Jesus? He doesn't want it to be let known by demons. He wants his own disciples to confess. And that happens about halfway through at the, uh, just before the um, transfiguration, that Peter finally says, you are the Christ. And, that, and from that moment on is when Jesus then to, heads towards Jerusalem to die. But that whole first half, you know, three years of ministry is really about him uh, doing things that would show that he is the Messiah and he is looking for faith and testimony from his disciples. So let's let's look um, let's look at the the beginning here. Read uh, 21 and 22. So just to give it all away, the the whole gist of this sermon is this: Why should you follow Jesus? Uh, the outline is um, because he has authority over truth. He has authority over the demons. He has authority over sickness. And that his commitments, these priorities of uh, prayer and preaching, um, show that he is the one we ought to follow. So let, let's look at the first part, authority over truth, from um, verses 21 and 22. And he went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. So ju just a little bit of geography note here, and that's this. When Jesus was born, he was born in Bethlehem. Bethlehem was in the southern part of Israel, not too far from Jerusalem. 
that is the cap, Jerusalem is the capital. That whole lower region of Israel called Judah or Judea is like that's, that's, the, that's where the important people live and where the important things are. Um, it is uh, the, the seat of authority is down there. It's where the temple is. Everything's great. Then just north of that area is Samaria, and Samaria is where when the Assyrians had exiled the people, they had put all these foreigners in there, and the Jews in that area of Samaria intermarried with these foreigners, and they began to worship uh, idols. And then as things got reformed, well, they started worshiping God, but like in their own way, and it was just kind of weird. People just avoided Samaria. Then way up at the top is where the Sea of Galilee is. And Nazareth is not too far from there, but the, the region of Galilee is in that far north. And it's like the, it's like the sticks, right? Um, I, I called it last week at my community group. I said it was kind of like uh, the UP. <clears throat> Sorry. And, uh, and you know, I, I didn't know that someone from our community group was from the UP. I'm not going <clears> to <throat> say who. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, she's right there. Anyway, but, but the idea is, you know, the, the people down in, in Lansing really, you know, the, the, you know, the UP. Well, isn't that a part of Wisconsin? I don't, you know. It's, it's kind of like that. It's out in the sticks, and it doesn't matter to people, the people in power. Um, and, you know, for the most part, there's a lot of, most of their economy and everything they do up north is really for Gentile communities. The agricultural areas up in the area of Galilee, it's all meant to go towards uh, Tyre in, 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 uh, in Syria um, or the Decapolis where all the, the Greek cities are and the Greek-speaking people are and where the Roman legions might live. It's, it's kind of not, not a great place to live. And yet what happened is after um, Jesus is born, he goes down to Egypt, remember, to escape Herod, Herod, uh, um, dies, and uh, the family moves up to Nazareth, and that's where Jesus lives his childhood. And as he comes into his ministry, as he comes into about being 30 years old, he begins his ministry, and he makes Capernaum his hometown. It's a, it's a small town right on the lake shore of Galilee. So of all the places in, in um, Israel, for him to be the king, the Messiah, <coughs> goes to some place in the sticks, and that's where he's going to do ministry. But on the Sabbath, as was the custom of the faithful, he went to the synagogue, right? So in Israel, in the religion of the people, you have the temple down in Jerusalem. The temple, it was required for you uh, to go down three times a year to celebrate the festivals, the different feasts. Um, if you needed to go or wanted to go down for uh, certain sacrifices or things, you would do that as well. Um, the Levites, the priests down there, they, they made, maintained the daily sacrifices on behalf of the people. Um, but what do you do if you're way up north and you're not around the temple? Well, you gather together when there's 10 or more uh, Hebrew men, you can have a synagogue and where you'd come together and you would want someone, you would take turns where you'd read the scripture and then um, just kind of expound it. They would, they would teach. So this is not unusual that Jesus would enter the synagogue and they just picked him, hey, your turn. So Jesus takes the scroll, he opens it and, and he teaches. He teaches, but this is the astonishing thing. They're blown away by it. Verse 22, they were astonished at his teaching for he taught as one who had authority and not as the scribes. So what the scribes did, these were the professional people who would write down the different teachings of different rabbis. And generally, if it was your turn to teach on a, uh, on a Sabbath, uh, you might look and you know, study a little bit. And when, you, and when it's your turn to preach, you're... You're saying, well, Rabbi so-and-so said this, and Rabbi so-and-so did this, said this, and Rabbi's trying to explain what the scripture might mean, right? Dan, you know, Dan does this, we do this, you know, hey, this is what John Piper said, this is what, you know, John Calvin said, this is what Martin Luther said, this is what Augustine said, or, 
You know, we, we talk like that. We, we want to build up a case that what we're saying about this scripture, we didn't just make up out of thin air. But what Jesus is doing is vastly different. It's about authority. The, the best way to see this is in, on the Sermon on the Mount. Now, the Sermon on the Mount is not on a, in a synagogue. It's Jesus uh, going up on a uh, hillside and, and preaching to people. And, and in Matthew 5, you, you hear from uh, verse 21, for instance. Jesus says, you've heard it said about, of those of old, you should, shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Or how about later on in verse 27? You have heard it said that you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Right? See, Here's kind of the problem. As human beings, our hearts are twisted. We'll even take God's word and, and mess with it. So in Leviticus chapter 19, this is where you find the, uh, the command that we're to love our neighbor as ourself. And so what happened is different rabbis are looking at what this means, they're breaking it down. Well, what does it mean to, well, who's our neighbor, right? How do we define our neighbor? Well, it, it ends up that we would like to love our neighbors if our neighbors are like ourselves, so that's kind of where they start heading to. Well, if we're supposed to love our neighbor, what are we supposed to do to our enemy? Well, clearly, if, we're, if love goes to neighbor, then to the enemy goes your, your hatred, right? You should hate your enemy, and you should love your neighbor. And so most of the dialogue that rabbis would have or, or different people in the synagogues about loving your neighbor is really trying to define who your neighbor is. Because really what we want to do is love people who are just like me, who think like me. That's really easy. It's just another way of loving myself, <laughs> right? And if we, could, if we could parse out who's not my neighbor, I'm not obliged to love them. Isn't that great? You know, if they vote a certain way or if they look a certain way or if they act a certain way or they, right, you can just exclude them. So what does Jesus do on the Sermon on the Mount? He says, you've heard it say that you're to love your neighbor and hate your enemy. I tell you that you're to love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. Wait, where'd that come from? What, can you cite your reference? There is no reference, it's Jesus. He's teaching with authority. Now, here's what the people were saying though. He taught as one who had authority. He's not saying, look, he has authority to teach new things. They're saying he's, it's as if he has authority. Jesus is teaching as if he has authority. The question is, does he really have authority? Is it his right and privilege to say, this is how you need to live your life? There have been many people who have taught in the past as one who has had authority. I mean, I think of like Joseph Smith, right? He founded the Mormons. He taught like there was authority, like he had authority. The question is, does he have authority? Buddha, Muhammad, right? You name it. There's people have always claimed to have authority, the right, the privilege to tell you this is what it is. This is how you should live your life. So what are we supposed to do about Jesus? He's making a claim. We, as the church of Jesus Christ, are saying to you, this is the guy you should listen to. This, this is who you should entrust your life with, your very soul with. The eternity is at stake. It's him, listen to him. Follow him. So let's move on. We're going to pin it there. We're going to move on a little bit. 23. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. 
Now, there is a connection here that I want us to see, okay? I know who you are, the demon says. You're the Holy One. Who is the Holy One? Well, throughout the Old Testament, when the Holy One is talked about, the Holy One is typically referred to as God in their midst, right? In Hosea chapter 11, for instance, the Holy One is God who is in the midst of the people. He's also referred to as the Redeemer. The Holy One is the Redeemer of Israel. And then there's this other one. The Holy One is identified with the one who teaches the people. So in Isaiah chapter 48, for instance, verse 17, this is what the Lord says, he who is your redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord your God who teaches you to your benefit, who leads you in the way you should go. And the demon, hearing Jesus speak, goes, ah, I know who you are. You're the Holy One. And Jesus tells him to shut up. (laughs) He tells him to be quiet. But he recognizes him. I know who you are. You're the Holy One. You also want to know why he asks, "Are, are you, wait, that's the Holy One. Oh, no. Are you here to destroy us? Yes, yes, he is. Right, that's 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 part of it. Right, he he. That's part of it. In fact, let let me continue to read. Twenty five, but Jesus rebuked him. He rebukes this unclean spirit, saying, "Be silent and come out of him." And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned amongst themselves, saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout the surrounding regions of Galilee. And then if you skip down to the very end in 39, and when he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Okay? Jesus is casting out demons. Imagine if you were, um, oh, Jim's here, I should use an elk illustration, but I don't have one. Fishing, we'll use fishing though. Imagine, imagine you love fishing. You know, that was your big thing. You just, you loved fish, you loved everything about it. You love watching them, you especially like to catch them. Sometimes you let them go, sometimes you ate them because they're yummy, I admit, they're yummy. And you love them so much that you decided you'd, you would spend your money to buy a home right on a great river that you can, every day, you can just go out and fish and enjoy it. One day, you notice that in your river, your, your stream, there's all these fish belly up floating down the river. Something's wrong. What, what are you going to do? Right? I imagine you really love these fish. You're going to be like, oh, my goodness, we got to save these fish. You and your neighbors might get together, get out the nets. You're trying to get as many of those fish out of there as you can because it, there's something wrong in the river. You're saving as many fish as you can. You're, you, you've got, you, you all got ponds. You're throwing them in the ponds. You're, you're putting them in tanks. You call the depart, DNR. We've we got we to save these fish. At the same time, it would probably be a good thing to look upstream and find out what's killing all the fish and do something about it, right? To go up and go, oh, here's what's going on. There's a leak in this, uh, you know, the, this, the, the dairy farm, the manure is going in, or I don't know, or it's a factory or something, and you, we got to put a stop to it. we gotta, we got to fix that problem and then start bringing health and healing back to the river so we can have a good ecosystem so the fish can thrive. It's all the fish. Jesus is here to, to save people, yes. But if he can't do anything about demons, if he can't do anything about the problem, right, well, should we follow him? But he is here, 1 John 3, 8, last part of it. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. 
He is here to destroy the works of the devil. So yes, this demon is right to be shaken in his boots or shaking in his man that he's, I don't know. He's right to be afraid. And Jesus has the authority, the right, the privilege to send that demon away. What is the devil's work? Well, primarily it's this. We go back to the Garden of Eden, and there is the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God had given all good things to, the, to Adam and Eve. You know, everything is there to eat, except they, they're not to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And, and here, Satan goes to Eve and says, you know, is it, is it true that if you eat of it, right, you'll die? And yeah, you can't eat it, can't touch it, or you surely die. Oh, you won't surely die. And, and Satan tries to say this. What God doesn't want is for you to be like him, being able to decide for yourself what is right and wrong. Uh, that's what the idea of eating the tree of knowledge of good and evil. It's this moral autonomy that you have the authority to decide what is right and wrong, to decide what is good and evil, rather than it being God's authority. That's the temptation. See, Satan is very clever. Satan didn't show up and go, hey, don't follow God, follow me. Right? If it was that simple, people wouldn't do it. I mean, Satan doesn't really come up to people and say, hey, you should follow me instead of God. You know what he does is he says, you know what, you should follow yourself instead of God. You should make your own decisions. You could be your own God. Why would you listen to that? Why would you listen to this 2,000-year-old book filled with errors and whatever other lies he's going to make up? Why would you do that? You should follow yourself. Unfortunately, that is a very tempting thing, isn't it? Eve took of the fruit, ate of it, and gave it to her husband. And ever since then, the children of Adam and Eve, that's you and I, we have this compulsion to decide for ourselves what is good and evil rather than to rely on what God says. The work of the evil one was really simply to get us to follow ourselves rather than God. So let me ask you, Do you have the authority? I mean, think about it. Do you have the authority? Do you have the right and the privilege to declare what is good and what is evil for you or for the world? Do you? How's it been working? Right? Because we've all done it, haven't we? We have all worked and done things on our own authority, thinking that we knew better. It doesn't really work out well, does it? <clears throat> what Jesus is asking, <clears throat> asking, I don't know if he's asking, <laughs> what he's calling us to do is to follow him. By casting out this demon, Excuse me. By casting out this demon, it's authenticating the fact that Jesus truly does have authority over these things. He is the Holy One. He is the teacher of Israel. He is God. He has the right and the privilege to declare to us what is right and what is wrong. And has the right and the privilege to call us to follow him. Later, Jesus will even stand up and say this. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's John 14, 6. Imagine that. How does that go over? He is the only way. He is the truth. 
He is the life. There is no other way to the Father. That's bold. C.S. Lewis uh, talks about this in, um, I believe it's in Mere Christianity. He says there's only really three ways to look at this kind of statement, this kind of claim from Jesus, right? I mean, this is one big bald-faced lie. Jesus is a liar. Jesus is just a man. He knows he's not God, and he's trying to deceive you by saying, hey, look, I'm the only way. You've got to follow me, right? He's, a, he's either a liar or he's a crazy man, a lunatic. He really does think he's God and is making such claims, but he's not, right? That's a crazy man, right? If I, <laughs> if I stood up before you and said this about me, that I'm the only way, that I'm, right, you would be right to ridicule me and walk out and probably talk to Spencer about how do we commit this guy because he's crazy. So he's either a liar or a lunatic, and there's only one other option. The only other option is that it's true, that he is God, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, right? All sorts of people are very uncomfortable with these three choices. They know enough about Jesus to say, I can't call him a liar because, I mean, uh, the guy rocks. I can't, right? I can't call him crazy. That's going to be, there's too many people that have really saw this. There's, but so what they want to do is try to carve out a fourth option, like, you know, he was just a good teacher or, you know, he was a, he was a, a good thing, but, you know, history, it's unreliable or something. You can't, okay, back, back to the tree, right? Um, hey, uh, you know, God's not telling the truth, right? So don't trust his word. You know, Jesus really didn't say these things. He was just a decent guy. I mean, we're back to this, the, the frame one. Do we trust God's word or not? Jesus is either a liar, he's a lunatic, or he really is the son of God. We come Sunday after Sunday, and as elders, pastors, we're gonna encourage you and, and tell you and charge you. Like this really, Jesus is the real deal. He is the son of God. He is the way. He is the truth. He, he is the life. There is no other way. Without him, you are lost in your sins And we're all going to die. And those who know him are going to be raised to eternal life. And those that don't, it's not good. Why should we follow Jesus? Because he has authority over truth. Why should we follow Jesus? He has authority over the demonic world, over the demons. But wait, there's more. The story continues. The story continues. Verse 29. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now, Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told her about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. They knew him. So I'm going to ask your forgiveness on this because we're dealing with the topic of Jesus and healing and that is a very long and complicated um, topic. It's an enormous topic. I, I'm just going to bring up a few points. And, it, and they're kind of bullet points because, well, I started running out of time on my sermon prep. So just telling the truth. All right. So first, sickness 
is the result of the fall. And in the age to come, there'll no longer be any sickness, right? The Lord returns. He's going to wipe every tear from our eye. There's no longer be death. There's no longer be sickness. There's no longer be mourning. Praise God. I can't wait. Maranatha, Lord Jesus, come soon. It would be great. In the meantime, we still fall ill. It's part of the curse, part of the fall. We, we do. And it's inevitable. And until the Lord comes, we will also die. And this mortal body will decay. Number two, sickness in the Old Testament is often talked about as covenantal punishment and healing a promise of covenantal repentance. I bring this up because often what happens is we look at what God promises in terms of Israel, like, like if, you're, if you continue to turn away from me, I'm going to allow all these sicknesses, all the diseases of Egypt, for instance, the plagues to happen. And, but if you repent, I'm going to heal you. Now, the problem is, is that over time and people's different interpretation, they look at it, they think that these covenantal promises are dealing with individuals and that somehow perhaps if you're sick, that means you're a sinner or you've sinned and you need to repent. And if you haven't gotten sick, you know, like I haven't gotten COVID, so I must be more holy than you or something, right? Oh, look at Dan. <laughs> He's probably watching. Sorry, Dan. Anyway, the, but, that's, but that's not how it works. That's not, that's not what it's saying. It's saying that God has a people and he has made promises to them. And if they're faithful as a people, there's going to be blessing and good things for the people. That doesn't mean that individuals aren't never going to get sick again. It just, it's, just, it's just in general, there's, there's a healthy, happy culture. But if you're sinning, if you're turning away from God, then God's going to allow these covenantal punishments or curses to happen, and, and there's going to be, uh, you know, bad things, plagues and things like that. And if you turn to him, he's going to heal. And that doesn't mean after he does that, the individuals won't get sick, right? It's, it's, so it, so we, can't, we can't look at how the scripture is treating certain things and then apply it individually to us or individualistic, like I got sick or my, my wife got sick or my child got sick and, and to look at it as somehow that God is punishing. Could it be that there is? I mean, there are places, like if, if you're taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner that you could be eating and drinking damnation. You could, you could get sick. People actually were dying. That's true. You maybe should look into that, Right? Point three, the Messiah is prophesied to be able to heal, especially in the covenantal promises category, right? So most of what Jesus' healings were, were signs of his Messiahship and that the covenant blessings are going to come. Some of them here and now. And we get tastes of them from time to time. People still do get healed. But it's pointing us to the age to come. Jesus' miracles often had specific purposes in mind. I remember the pool at Bethsaida where Jesus comes and there's, there's all sorts of sick people waiting to jump into that pool. Do you remember that story? How many of them did Jesus heal? One of them. Why? He had a specific purpose for that. Why does he heal Peter's mother-in-law? Has a specific purpose for that. Specific purposes. Jesus didn't heal everybody. So I will say, though, that what we should do when we are sick, because Jesus has authority over sickness, clearly he has the power and the authority to heal. And when we are sick, we should call out to the Lord and ask for that healing. But I have to tell you, there is no guarantee that it is his will that you are healed at that moment. I can't promise that. I, no preacher can promise that. We acclaim that he has power over it. We know that's true. 
what we should ask as we ask for that. Like, for instance, in James, it says that if you are sick, you should call the elders and they'll anoint you with oil and, and, and pray, right? And, and your sins will be forgiven. Isn't that cool? But I don't know if you're going to be physically healed or not. What we should ask is ask God for healing. He may heal you. But ask also that he'd help you discern his will. Like why? What should my response be to this illness, to this cancer, to this, you know, tragedy? Why should, why should this thing happen and not something else? I can't tell you. I don't know. But God can. And you pursue him and ask but what we see from this particular story is that we see that Jesus can and does heal. He has that authority to do so. So, why should we follow Jesus? He has authority over truth. He has authority over the demonic. He has authority even over sickness, but there's also something about Jesus, and that is looking at his life and his priorities. We can see, or as I said with my three C's, commitments, right? What is his commitment? What's this guy like? Verse 35, and rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Well, what does this tell us about Jesus? What, what's his priority? I mean, he's very busy. Like, the word about him is all over the place. He can't get a moment's rest. They're, they're bringing him his, the demon-possessed and the sick, and he's healing, and he's doing that. So what's his response? What's Jesus' response? Right? He didn't call his, the disciples that are following him currently and says, hey, we've got to work out a different work structure. I've got to change my work-life balance. I need to go listen to a few podcasts on, on prayer. Or, you know, I, he got up before everyone else did. He went out and he found a place so he could pray. He's 100% in this. He's establishing God's kingdom, his reign on planet earth once and for all in his person and he is all in. And he gets up before it's even light out. He gets up and it's a priority. He's gonna go and he's gonna pray. That's the kind of guy I could follow. Simon and those, as we keep on, Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said, everyone's looking for you. So think of, the, think of it. The disciples wake up. I don't know what time they wake up. They wake up, and they notice Jesus isn't anywhere around. And as they notice that he's not around, people are streaming to the doors again looking for him. What are we going to do? We got to find Jesus. And He's in a desolate place. My guess is they probably knew where he was. This was probably not new to Jesus to go to this place to pray. They went and they found him. Hey, Jesus, everyone's looking for you. There's all sorts of more work to do. And Jesus' response is, giddy up. There's more places that need to hear about this, right? He goes on, he says, and he said to them, verse 38, let us go on to the next towns that I might preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went through all of Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. What is his priorities? He he's prays, communes with his father, and he goes and he preaches that people might know the good news, that the kingdom of God is at hand in his person, the old is passing away and the new has come. And it's such a wonderful thing. We now live on the opposite, I mean, on the other side of the story, right? We know the entirety of the good news. 
We know that Jesus came and established the spiritual kingdom in which, through his death on the cross and his resurrection, him seated at, seated, seated at the right hand of the Father, right? We have such amazing blessing. We have forgiveness of sin, eternal life with him. Uh, we have an intercessor in heaven before the Father. All this good, good, good news. Jesus is worthy to be followed. He's the one that has authority, not me. I can't run my life on my own. I've tried it. I know you have too. It doesn't bring life. It doesn't bring hope. It doesn't bring healing. It doesn't do anything against the evil powers that are out there. That's only in Jesus. So here's my encouragement to you. As we study the book of Mark, as, we pre as uh, Dan and others preach on the gospel of Mark, and we get to see Jesus, as we look at those three C's of leadership, for instance, and we see how his authority is carried out. My hope is, is that you're continuing to look at him. Is this who you ought to follow? And if you've already made that decision, that you follow him even more faithfully that you pursue Christ. And if you haven't, if you haven't yet followed Jesus, my prayer is that he calls you to himself, that you hear his call, and that you follow him. And if you've never done that, if you're like, I'm already at a place where I know that my life is not the way it ought to be, and the more I try to be my own God in my own life, things just continue to get worse, worse and worse, hopeless even. I'd ask that you'd repent and that you'd follow Jesus. And if you don't know what that entails or how to do that, please talk to the pastors that are not sick right now. I'm just kidding. It's just me and you, Spencer, isn't it, right? To Spencer, to myself, or to one of the other elders, Steve's here. Um, or if you know, if you have a friend who's a Christian already, talk to them. We'd love to help you, to pray with you, and help you on your walk with him. Let's pray. Father, once again, we give you thanks for your son Jesus, that you sent him for our sake. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for all that you've done for us for your character, for your commitment, Lord, for your competence, for doing all that you needed and had to do for our sake, even laying your own life down on the cross for us. God, I pray that each person here, each person listening online, Lord, would, would hear your call to come to you, to follow you, to be forgiven, to be given a hope and a future. God, I pray that even now you would prompt those that need you to leave the life where they're at and seek to follow you. We pray this in Jesus' name for your glory, amen.